WTBN Pinellas Park. In order to be the church, we have to be in church. Take your family to church this Sunday. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. One of the first things that Satan does in your life when you're a a new believer is he whispers to you. You can't hear him verbally, but he whispers in your heart, you're the only one. You're the only one who's this sinful. Nobody else has thoughts like this. You must not be saved. But Paul said, there's no temptation that's overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Whatever you are going through or have gone through or will go through, others have as well. Because sometimes we think that we're isolated. And sometimes you hear people say, you know what? You don't understand because I'm married to such a difficult person. Nobody knows what it's like. Well, that's not true. All too often, we seem to go from one extreme to the other. If we've sinned, we are likely to feel like we are the worst sinner there ever has been and even feel like we are beyond redemption. And at the other extreme, we feel like we're pretty hot stuff. We can manage just fine, thank you. Well, the reality ought to be a little bit more like the little girl who prayed, Lord, So far today, I've been a very good girl. I haven't yelled at my brother or talked back to my mother. I haven't stolen any of my sister's clothes or even gotten jealous of my baby brother. But now, Lord, I'm really going to need your help because it's time to get up and get dressed. Well, welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve's 25-plus years of teaching at Lakeside has grown to include this daily Bible class, which is part of Verse by Verse Ministries. Today is the conclusion of our detailed study of the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew chapter 6. It's part three of Pastor Steve's three-part message on the last section included in the prayer. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In our previous class, Pastor Steve gave us some practical suggestions how we can pray effectively for protection from specific temptations. We will pick up that lesson at that point. And now here is Pastor Steve. Now, in light of the fact that Jesus commands us to pray for God's protection from temptation that could overcome us, there are a number of important issues that attach itself to this truth. And first of all, none of us will ever take this type of praying seriously, and no one will ever put it into action unless you first realize how weak you really are, that you're not strong in the Lord. You're weak. As long as you think that you're strong enough to handle any temptation, then you will not seek God's help. If you think, you know what? I've walked with the Lord for many years. I've survived. I haven't fallen. I'm okay. I've been on the mountaintop with him. I've been through through many trials, many dangers, and I can handle this, then you're in grave danger because the Apostle Paul wrote the Corinthians and said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. You're on very shaky ground if you have that attitude that I don't really need God's help. I have walked with him. I've been very close to the Lord and I don't really need his help. What Paul wrote to the Corinthians is a stern warning, not for them not to be overconfident in their ability to handle what we call Christian liberty issues. Uh, A Christian liberty issue is an issue, and there are many of them, uh, that um, things that are not forbidden in Scripture, nor are they commanded in Scripture. God leaves it up to us 
And, he, and, and it really is, um, it comes down to our conscience. Do we have a clear conscience to do certain things? Now, some of the Corinthians thought that, that they could handle anything in their pagan society. And, that, and Corinth was, the, was perhaps the most immoral pagan wicked city in the ancient world. And some of these Corinthians, these Christians, thought that they could handle those pagan elements in their society without being overcome by them because they said, you know what? This is just liberty stuff. And Paul is warning them, don't, don't see how close you can get to the edge, thinking you can handle it. If you think you can handle it, he said, you can't. You can't. You might fall. That's a good warning to us not to think for one moment that in and of ourselves we're strong enough to handle the temptations that a pagan society throws at us. You and I are not that strong, not that strong. In fact, the book of Proverbs is even more direct and specific in telling us the outcome of those who are overconfident in their ability to handle anything, especially temptation. It states the well-known phrase, pride goes before a fall. Now, in Proverbs, we're guaranteed that. If, if Paul just warns us in Corinthians, but, but the writer in Proverbs says, pride goes before a fall. If you think that you can handle it for sure, you're going to fall. And you know, one of the greatest illustrations of this, in a, in a negative sense, is the Apostle Peter. Peter thought that he was so strong, he would never deny the Lord. But he denied him. And I want to show you this. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 we break in at verse 27, and the context is this. The Lord has just had his final supper with the disciples. He'll be arrested that night. He's had the Passover meal, turned it into the Lord's Supper. They have sung a hymn, and they are moving out to go down from the temple area down to the Kidron Valley and then up the Mount of Olives. And we break in at verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Now, the Lord is making a, an all-inclusive prediction that he, he's saying, and he means that tonight, when they come to arrest me, you're all going to scatter. All of you, like sheep, you're going to scatter from me, the, the shepherd. Now, that's pretty, pretty clear. He didn't say all of you, but one is going to hang, going to leave me. But notice, he goes on to say in verse 28, but after I've been raised, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. So there's a great statement of hope here. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. Now, what arrogance. The Lord just said, all of you will fall away. And Peter is correcting the Lord. Lord, he's saying in essence, Lord, I understand why you would say these men would fall away. I've been with them too. And I know what they're made of, but not me, not me. You, you've got it wrong. I will never leave you. Now, this is a man who didn't know how weak he was. This is a man who thought he could handle anything. And so we read that Jesus said to him, verse 30, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. Peter, you won't deny me once. You're so weak, you're going to deny me three times. But notice this, Peter still doesn't get it. But Peter kept saying, insisting or insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And he wasn't the only one because it says they were, they were all saying the same thing, all saying, yeah, Lord, we'll go to go with you no matter what, even if it's death. Now, listen, Peter just thought in his arrogance, he was better than everyone else, stronger. He had been with Jesus for three years. He wouldn't possibly couldn't deny the Lord. He was too strong for that. 
But he did deny Jesus. And as Kent Hughes says, in sweaty, sordid, foul language that had not come from his lips in years. You see, Peter never saw how weak he was, never saw how how frail spiritually he was. He never thought that he needed God's protection. He didn't need to depend upon the Lord. What Peter should have done, and all of these disciples have fallen on their face and say, yes, I know how prone I am to wander. Lord, I'd give you up in a heartbeat. That's, that's, that's how weak I am. I need your strength. Any one of us who's so self-confident and so self-sufficient that he refuses to pray and ask God to, to help and, and protect him in resisting temptation, going to fall too. Going to fall too. So what can you do? What can you do to make sure that you don't succumb to temptation? Well, the first thing you do is repent. Repent of, of that self-confidence that, that you might have in your own ability to handle temptation. And you'll repent of it when you understand what the Bible says about your wicked heart. It's really an understanding of human depravity and how sinful we really are. I'm, I'm convinced a lot of Christians, while they know they're sinners, I don't think they know how sinful they really are. Regardless of your past spiritual accomplishments, regardless of how close you've been to the Lord, regardless of how many years you, you know him, you need to understand the truth about yourself, that you are, you are weak and capable of doing the most horrific atrocities. I think, by the way, and I'll just add this, I think, by the way, if, if, if Christians understood human depravity and how sinful the human heart really is, they, they wouldn't have a theological problem with election. Now, I'll just throw that out, because I think that when you understand how wicked we are, uh, you'll understand that man in and of himself would never come to Christ. But that's not what we're talking about here. I just threw that out, and there's no extra charge for that. So how weak are we? We are capable of the most horrific atrocities. We need to see ourselves as Paul saw himself as a converted man. He said, I am, not I was, I am the chief of sinners. We need to understand the truth about ourselves as Paul understood the truth about himself when he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's Romans 7. Nothing. Think about that. Nothing good. And he's not talking about Christ in him. He means nothing in and of myself. There's no merit I have. There's no goodness I have. Apart from Christ, I am nothing. Nothing good dwells in me. As someone once said, every form of wickedness that has ever been committed lies in germ form in your heart. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always going to come out, but it's there. You and I are capable of doing anything. And if if we don't believe that, then we have a a bit of self-righteousness to deal with bit of self-righteousness. So until you lose all self-confidence in your ability to resist temptation and see yourself as weak and sinful and in need of God's help, you're going to have trouble overcoming Satan's attacks and recognizing that these attacks come directly from him leads us now to, to move to that second phrase, key phrase that Jesus spoke of in this sixth petition. The first key phrase presented in negative form is, and lead us not into temptation. We will deal with the second key phrase in just a moment. We want to take a very quick break to let those who just tuned in know what's going on. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been ministering since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
We are in the middle of our concluding study of the Lord's Prayer. If you missed the start of class, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen again or download the file. That's versebyverseradio.org. If you remember, there are two key phrases in this part of the Lord's Prayer. The first is, lead us not into temptation. Now, here's Pastor Steve with the second phrase. But now the second key phrase, which is presented in a positive form, is this, but deliver us from evil. Now, concerning this phrase, what what does it mean? There is debate amongst Bible scholars as to whether this phrase should be translated, deliver us from evil, as my translation has it, or deliver us from the evil one. It could go either way in the original language. And if it's deliver us from the evil one, it means Satan, the devil, who is the evil one. Now, regardless of how you choose to translate this, the thought is exactly the same, so it's not really a problem. It's The thought is the same since the Bible refers to Satan as the tempter. That's what he's called in Matthew chapter 4. He came to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. He is the tempter. And in Matthew 13, 19, he is specifically referred to as the evil one. So it seems to me, especially in light of the fact of how Matthew uses this term to refer to Satan in other places, that the thought here is that Jesus is telling us that behind all of these temptations that threaten to overcome us is Satan, and we need to pray to be delivered from his attacks. Now, that's really helpful to understand because the Bible gives us specific instruction on how to resist Satan and his temptation. Now, there are a number of of places that address this. Ephesians 6 talks about this, and I would encourage you to to listen to the tapes on spiritual warfare. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, which we studied, seems like years ago, but I think just months ago, uh, on how Jesus dealt with temptation. But that's not where I want to take you this morning. I first want to take you to a very encouraging uh, verse that gives great hope to all of us who who struggle. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, we already looked at verse 12, where Paul says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, so he does not fall, or lest he fall. But verse 13 is precious. In fact, every one of us should know this verse, should have it memorized, and should meditate on it. Verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you'll be able to endure it. What an encouraging statement. There are a lot of truths in here. One truth is this. He starts off by saying there's nothing that is as no temptation in your life that's unique to you. It's common to man. Others have experienced it. And that's good to know because one of the first things that Satan does in your life when you're a, a new believer is he, he whispers to you. You can't hear him verbally, but he whispers in your heart, you're the only one. You're the only one who's this sinful. Nobody else has thoughts like this. You must not be saved. But Paul said, there's no temptation that's overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Whatever you are going through or have gone through or will go through, others have as well. Because sometimes we think that we're isolated. And sometimes you hear people say, you know what? Um, You don't understand because uh, I'm married to such a difficult person. Nobody knows what it's like. Well, that's not true. 
Paul says, others know. Others know. What you're going through is not unique to you. Or someone says, you know what? I I know you can't relate because nobody's ever had a boss like my boss. Nobody has to work with someone that I work with. Paul says, that's not true. There is no temptation that's overtaken you, but such as is common to man. You are not alone in your temptations. Take heart in that. Secondly, he tells us that God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but he will always provide a way of escape. Now that's very interesting. Always provide a way of escape. You may wonder then, if God will always provide a way of escape, then why do I need to pray, lead me not into temptation? If God already promises to provide a way of escape from temptation or from falling into sin. Because, watch this, the way of escape only comes when we do things God's way and not our own. This is not a promise for those who walk in carnality before the Lord. This is a promise that the way of escape is available, but you have to go that way. And what does he mean? It means that you, when you do things God's way, which includes depending upon him to protect you, leaning on him and not yourself and your own resources, then you will know the way of escape. You will know the way of escape. Doing things God's way is precisely how the Bible tells us to resist the devil and his temptations. In fact, if we had the time and we looked at Ephesians chapter 6, you would see everything that Paul says there is going God's way. Put on the right armor. Make sure that you have uh, your minds protected by truth. Make sure that you have every part of you protected by truth. He always talks about doing what's right. Now, what is the way of escape? I I want you to turn to James chapter 4. I think this is the key. And I told you that there are many places that, a number of places in the New Testament that address Satan and how to resist him. But none is so succinct. None is so brief and to the point as James 4 Verse 7, James says this, Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Now, here he says, resist the devil. And if we do that, he will flee from us, meaning that at least for a season, the attacks, particularly the attacks you're going through, will stop. He'll be back with some more, but he'll flee. What does it mean to resist the devil? Well, he tells us in verse verse 7, the beginning of it, Submit, therefore, to God. Submit to God. If you want to resist the devil in your life, you need to submit to God. And part of submission is is lean on him. Lean on him. Pray for his protection. Do what's right. Use, as I said, your sanctified common sense. Don't go into areas that you know you're weak in and pray that, that in your life he'll make sure that you're not put in areas like that. So the way to resist the devil is by submitting to God. And the way to submit to God, frankly, comes down to submitting to his word. When you obey God's word, and as I said, that includes the obedience of asking for his help and protection from temptation, then we have a promise that Satan will flee from us. This promise is the way of escape. That's the way of escape. So if you find yourself in some seemingly overwhelming temptation, you need to examine your life. You need to see, is there any area that's out of touch, out of tune, out of whack with God's word, and repent of anything that is not in submission to the word of God. We're all prone to wander, but we don't need to. We don't need to, because God will always help his children who are humble and dependent upon him to have victory over Satan and temptation. That's what this is about. Now, the Lord's Prayer ends 
we've, we've looked at the six petitions, but it ends with a simple yet magnificent doxology because it really did end verses 14 and 15. You just clarified about forgiveness, which we already looked at. It ends with this doxology of verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. How, how magnificent. This, uh, this is not a request of God. This is pure praise. This is, this is doxology. Now, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble here, but most Bible scholars doubt that Jesus uttered these words at this point. They're, they're, these words are not found in the leading ancient manuscripts. However, though they don't, it does not appear that the Lord said these words at this point, that doesn't make these words not true. In fact, there is nothing in these words that would conflict with any scripture. These words are truth. These words are, are truth that to God, for him is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. They certainly reflect the truth of scripture. God is the supreme one of which the kingdom, power, and glory all belong to him. And so we end our prayers by giving him praise and giving him great thanksgiving. Let's pray. We have studied this incredible model prayer, but it will do us no good if we don't know him and we don't pray this way. Do you know him? We started, we started by saying that we should pray to him as our father who is in heaven. Do you know him as your father? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you ever been born again by faith in Christ? Are you his child through Christ? That's the only way to be his child. And have you trusted him to save you from your sin? When you do that, you'll become his child, and and this prayer will take on new meaning. If you are a believer, will you pray like this? As I said, this teaching does us no good if it's not being incorporated into your prayer life. Are you praying for his name to be hallowed, forgetting yourselves, but only treating him as holy? Are you praying for his kingdom to come in the lives of, of others in your own life? in submission to his lordship? Are you praying for his will to be done on earth? Are you praying, thanking him for your daily bread and looking to him, trusting him for for daily provision? Gratitude for the fact that we have surplus. Are you asking him to forgive you when you do sin? Do you forgive others just as he's forgiven you? And are you praying and will you pray that you might not be led into temptation that could overcome you because you want to obey him and not do evil. Only you can answer this. Father, we thank you for teaching us how to pray the great instruction from the master himself. Lord, help us to take these principles and to use them in our own lives so that we would pray in a manner that is pleasing. And so no one here needs to wonder from now on, how to pray. You, you gave us the divine, the divine sequence. You gave us the divine principles of how to approach you. And we say to you, Father, we say to you, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a great tool the Lord has given us to help us to pray. The disciples asked him, to teach us how to pray. They didn't say, teach us a prayer. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with praying these exact words, but if that's all we do, we miss the point. This prayer gives us a framework upon which we can build our prayers in such a way that we don't forget any important aspects of prayer. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To hear today's class again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online, download the file by right-clicking the link, or sign up for our free podcasting service. That website again is versebyverseradio.org. To hear the entire message at once, you can call to order a cassette tape or audio CD. Our phone number is 727-441-1714. Please leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. 